Section 62 of The History of Chemistry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of Chemistry by Thomas Thompson. Volume 2, Chapter 5 of Electrochemistry. Part 2. A few years before, a philosophical institution had been established in London, under the auspices of Count Rumford, which had received the name of the Royal Institution. Lectures on chemistry and natural philosophy were delivered in this institution, a laboratory was provided, and a library established. The first professor appointed to this institution, Dr. Garnet, had been induced, in consequence of some disagreement between him and Count Rumford, to throw up his situation. Many candidates started for it, but Davy, in consequence of the celebrity which he had acquired by his researches, or perhaps by the intoxicating effects of protoxide of azote, which he had discovered, was, fortunately for the institution and for the reputation of England, preferred to them all. He was appointed Professor of Chemistry, and Dr. Thomas Young Professor of Natural Philosophy, in the year 1801. Davy, either from the more popular nature of his subject, or from his greater oratorical powers, became at once a popular lecturer, and always lectured to a crowded room, while Dr. Young, though both a profound and clear lecturer, could scarcely command an audience of a dozen. It was here that Davy labored with unwearied industry during eleven years, and acquired by his discoveries the highest reputation of any chemist in Europe. In 1811 he was knighted, and soon after married Mrs. Apreece, a widow lady, daughter of Mr. Kerr, who had been secretary to Lord Rodney and had made a fortune in the West Indies. He was soon after created a baronet. About this time he resigned his situation as professor of chemistry in the Royal Institution, and went to the continent. He remained for some years in France and Italy. In the year 1821, when Sir Joseph Banks died, a very considerable number of the fellows offered their votes to Dr. Wollaston, but he declined standing as a candidate for the President's chair. Sir Humphrey Davy, on the other hand, was anxious to obtain that honorable situation, and was, accordingly, elected President by a very great majority of votes on the 30th of November, 1821. This honorable situation he filled about seven years, but his health declining, he was induced to resign in 1828, and to go to Italy. Here he continued till 1829, when feeling himself getting worse, and wishing to draw his last breath in his own country, he began to turn his way homewards. But at Geneva he felt himself so ill that he was unable to proceed further. Here he took to his bed, and here he died on the 29th of May, 1829. It was his celebrated paper, On Some Chemical Agencies of Electricity, inserted in the Philosophical Transactions for 1807, 
that laid the foundation of the high reputation which he so deservedly acquired. I consider this paper not merely as the best of all his own productions, but as the finest and completest specimen of inductive reasoning which appeared during the age in which he lived. It had been already observed that when two platinum wires from the two poles of a galvanic pile are plunged each into a vessel of water, and the two vessels united by means of wet asbestos, or any other conducting substance, an acid appeared round the positive wire, and an alkali round the negative wire. The alkali was said by some to be soda, by others to be ammonia. The acid was variously stated to be nitric acid, muriatic acid, or even chlorine. Davy demonstrated by decisive experiments that in all cases the acid and alkali are derived from the decomposition of some salt, contained either in the water or in the vessel containing the water. Most commonly, the salt decomposed is common salt, because it exists in water and in agate, basalt, and various other stony bodies, which he employed as vessels. When the same agate cup was used in successive experiments, the quantity of acid and alkali evolved diminished each time, and at last no appreciable quantity could be perceived. When glass vessels were used, soda was disengaged at the expense of the glass, which was sensibly corroded. When the water into which the wires were dipped was perfectly pure, and when the vessel containing it was free from every trace of saline matter, no acid or alkali made its appearance, and nothing was evolved except the constituents of water, namely oxygen and hydrogen, the oxygen appearing round the positive wire, and the hydrogen round the negative wire. When a salt was put into the vessel in which the positive wire dipped, the vessel into which the negative wire dipped being filled with pure water, and the two vessels being united by means of a slip of moistened asbestos, the acid of the salt made its appearance round the positive wire, and the alkali round the negative wire, before it could be detected in the intermediate space. But if an intermediate vessel, containing a substance for which the alkali has a strong affinity, be placed between these two vessels, the whole being united by means of slips of asbestos, then great part, or even the whole of the alkali, was stopped in this intermediate vessel. Thus, if the salt was nitrate of barites, and sulfuric acid was placed in the intermediate vessel, much sulfate of barites was deposited in the intermediate vessel and very little or even no barites made its appearance round the negative wire. Upon this subject a most minute, extensive, and satisfactory series of experiments was made by Davy, leaving no doubt whatever of the accuracy of the fact. The conclusions which he drew from these experiments are that all substances which have a chemical affinity for each other are in different states of electricity and that the degree of affinity is proportional to the intensity of these opposite states.
When such a compound body is placed in contact with the poles of a galvanic battery, the positive pole attracts the constituent, which is negative, and repels the positive. The negative acts in the opposite way, attracting the positive constituent and repelling the negative. The more powerful the battery, the greater is the force of these attractions and repulsions. We may, therefore, by increasing the energy of a battery sufficiently, enable it to decompose any compound whatever, the negative constituent being attracted by the positive pole and the positive constituent by the negative pole. Oxygen, chlorine, bromine, iodine, cyanogen, and acids are negative bodies, for they always appear round the positive pole of the battery and are therefore attracted to it, while hydrogen, azote, carbon, selenium, metals, alkalis, earths, and oxide bases are deposited round the negative pole and consequently are positive. According to this view of the subject, chemical affinity is merely a case of the attractions exerted by bodies in different states of electricity. Volta first broached the idea that every body possesses naturally a certain state of electricity. Davy went a step further and concluded that the attractions which exist between the atoms of different bodies are merely the consequence of these different states of electricity. The proof of this opinion is founded on the fact that if we present to a compound sufficiently strong electrical poles, it will be separated into its constituents. And one of these constituents will invariably make its way to the positive and the other to the negative pole. Now bodies in a state of electrical excitement always attract those that are in the opposite state. If electricity be considered as consisting of two distinct fluids, which attract each other with a force inversely as the square of the distance, while the particles of each fluid repel each other with a force varying according to the same law, then we must conclude that the atoms of each body are covered externally with a coating of some one electric fluid to a greater or smaller extent. Oxygen and the other supporters of combustion are covered with a coating of negative electricity, while hydrogen, carbon, and the metals are covered with a coating of positive electricity. What is the cause of the adherence of the electricity to these atoms? We cannot explain. It is not owing to an attraction similar to gravitation, for electricity never penetrates into the interior of bodies, but spreads itself only on the surface, and the quantity of it which can accumulate is not proportional to the quantity of matter, but to the extent of surface. But whatever be the cause, the adherence is strong and seemingly cannot be overcome. If we were to suppose an atom of any body, of oxygen for example, to remain uncombined with any other body, but surrounded by electricity, it is obvious that the coating of negative electricity on its surface would be gradually neutralized by its attracting and combining with positive electricity. But let us suppose an atom of oxygen and an atom of hydrogen to be united together, 
it is obvious that the positive electricity of the one atom would powerfully attract the negative electricity of the other, and vice versa. And if these respective electricities cannot leave the atoms, the two atoms will remain firmly united. And the opposite electrical intensities will in some measure neutralize each other, and thus prevent them from being neutralized by electricity from any other quarter. But a current of the opposite electricities passing through such a compound might neutralize the electricity in each, and, thus putting an end to their attractions, occasion decomposition. Such is a very imperfect outline of the electrical theory of affinity first proposed by Davy to account for the decompositions produced by electricity. It has been universally adopted by chemists, and some progress has been made in explaining and accounting for the different phenomena. It would be improper, in a work of this kind, to enter further into the subject. Those who are interested in such discussions will find a good deal of information in the first volume of Bergelius's Treatise on Chemistry, in the introduction to the Traite des Chemies Appliquées aux Arts by Dumas, or in the introduction to my system of chemistry, at present in the press. Davy, having thus got possession of an engine, by means of which the compounds, whose constituents adhered to each other might be separated, immediately applied it to the decomposition of potash and soda, bodies which were admitted to be compounds, though all attempts to analyze them had hitherto failed. His attempt was successful, when a platinum wire from the negative pole of a strong battery in full action was applied to a lump of potash, slightly moistened, and lying on a platinum tray attached to the positive pole of the battery, small globules of a white metal soon appeared at its extremity. This white metal he speedily proved to be the basis of potash. He gave it the name of potassium, and very soon proved that potash is a compound of five parts by weight of this metal and one part of oxygen. Potash, then, is a metallic oxide. He proved soon after that soda is a compound of oxygen and another white metal, to which he gave the name of sodium. Lime is a compound of calcium and oxygen, magnesia of magnesium and oxygen, barites of barium and oxygen, and strontium of strontium and oxygen. In short, the fixed alkalis and alkaline earths are metallic oxides. When lithia was afterwards discovered by Arfutsen, Davy succeeded in decomposing it also by the galvanic battery, and resolving it into oxygen and a white metal, to which the name of lithium was given. Davy did not succeed so well in decomposing alumina, glucina, yttria, and zirconia by the galvanic battery. They were not sufficiently good conductors of electricity, but nobody entertained any doubt that they also were metallic oxides. They have been all at length decomposed, and their bases obtained by the joint action of chlorine and potassium, and it has been demonstrated that they also are metallic oxides. Thus it has been ascertained 
in consequence of Davy's original discovery of the powers of the galvanic battery, that all the bases formerly distinguished into the four classes of alkalies, alkaline earths, earths proper, and metallic oxides, belong in fact only to one class, and are all metallic oxides. Important as these discoveries are, and sufficient as they would have been to immortalize the author of them, they are not the only ones for which we are indebted to Sir Humphrey Davy. His experiments on chlorine are not less interesting or less important in their consequences. I have already mentioned in a former chapter that Berthollet made a set of experiments on chlorine, from which he had drawn as a conclusion that it is a compound of oxygen and muriatic acid, in consequence of which it got the name of oxymuriatic acid. This opinion of Berthollet had been universally adopted by chemists, and admitted by them as a fundamental principle, till Gay-Lussac and Thénard endeavoured, unsuccessfully, to decompose this gas, or to resolve it into muriatic acid and chlorine. They showed, in the clearest manner, that such a resolution was impossible, and that no direct evidence could be adduced to prove that oxygen was one of its constituents. The conclusion to which they came was that muriatic acid gas contained water as an essential constituent, and they succeeded by this hypothesis in accounting for all the different phenomena which they had observed. They even made an experiment to determine the quantity of water thus combined. They passed muriatic acid through hot litharge, protoxide of lead. Muriate of lead was formed, and abundance of water made its appearance and was collected. They did not attempt to determine the proportions, but we can now easily calculate the quantity of water which would be deposited when a given weight of muriatic acid gas is absorbed by a given weight of litharge. Suppose we have 14 parts of oxide of lead. To convert it into muriate of lead, 4 and 625 thousandths parts, by weight, of muriatic acid would be necessary, and during the formation of the muriate of lead, there would be deposited 1 and 125 thousandths parts of water, so that from this experiment it might be concluded that about one-fourth of the weight of muriatic acid gas is water. The very curious and important facts respecting chlorine and muriatic acid gas, which they had ascertained, were made known by Gay-Lussac and Thénard to the Institute, on the 27th of February, 1809. And an abstract of them was published in the second volume of the Memoir d'Arcaille, there can be little doubt that it was in consequence of these curious and important experiments of the French chemists that Davy's attention was again turned to muriatic acid gas. He had already, in 1808, shown that when potassium is heated in muriatic acid gas, muriate of potash is formed, and a quantity of hydrogen gas evolved, amounting to more than one-third of the muriatic acid gas employed and he had shown that in no case can muriatic acid be obtained from chlorine unless water or its elements be present. This last conclusion had been amply confirmed by the new investigations of Gay-Lussac and Thénard. 
In 1810, Davy again resumed the examination of the subject, and in July of that year read a paper to the Royal Society to prove that chlorine is a simple substance, and that muriatic acid is a compound of chlorine and hydrogen. This was introducing an alteration in chemical theory of the same kind and nearly as important as was introduced by Lavoisier with respect to the action of oxygen in the processes of combustion and calcination. It had been previously supposed that sulfur, phosphorus, charcoal, and metals were compounds, one of the constituents of which was phlogiston and the other, the acids or oxides which remained after the combustion or calcination had taken place. Lavoisier showed that the sulfur, phosphorus, charcoal, and metals were simple substances, and that the acids or calces formed were compounds of these simple bodies and oxygen. In like manner, Davy showed that chlorine, instead of being a compound of muriatic acid and oxygen, was, in fact, a simple substance, and muriatic acid a compound of chlorine and hydrogen. This new doctrine immediately overturned the Lavoisierian hypothesis respecting oxygen as the acidifying principle, and altered all the previously received notions respecting the muriates. What had been called muriates were, in fact, combinations of chlorine with the combustible or metal, and were analogous to oxides. Thus, when muriatic acid gas was made to act upon hot litharge, a double decomposition took place. The chlorine united to the lead, while the hydrogen of the muriatic acid united with the oxygen of the litharge, and formed water. Hence the reason of the appearance of water in this case and hence it was obvious that what had been called muriate of lead was, in reality, a compound of chlorine and metallic lead. It ought, therefore, to be called not muriate of lead, but chloride of lead. It was not likely that this new opinion of Davy should be adopted by chemists in general, without a struggle to support the old opinions. But the feebleness of the controversy which ensued affords a striking proof how much chemistry had advanced since the days of Lavoisier, and how free from prejudices chemists had become. One would have expected that the French chemists would have made the greatest resistance to the admission of these new opinions, because they had a direct tendency to diminish the reputation of two of their most eminent chemists, Lavoisier and Berthollet. But the fact was not so, the French chemists showed a degree of candor and liberality which redounds highly to their credit. Berthollet did not enter at all into the controversy. Gay-Lussac and Thénard, in their Recherche Physico-Chimique, published in 1811, state their reasons for preferring the old hypothesis to the new, but with great modesty and fairness, and, within less than a year after, they both adopted the opinion of Davy, that chlorine is a simple substance, and muriatic acid a compound of hydrogen and chlorine. End of section 62